There's nothing in the world quite like Rodeo Drive. I'm Bronwyn Cosgrave. Hello, and welcome to Rodeo Drive, the podcast. Technology could have made the wristwatch obsolete, but people are still wearing watches and collecting them like never before. Find out why watch collectors beat a path to Rodeo Drive when they are in hot pursuit of a rarefied timepiece. There's a difference between a passionate collector and a passionate investor. And we're selling to the passionate collector. Many of those enthusiasts today are women. Women want watches that express who they are. So I think the days of the man in your life buying the watch for you, I think those days are over. The watches we are talking about are in a different class from your average one. They are painstakingly crafted in Swiss workshops, which continue traditions going back centuries. These watches can cost hundreds of thousands of dollars, the price of a home, or an artwork, or a vintage car. Ming Liu writes about watches for publications including British Vogue, the Financial Times, and the New York Times. The main reason why I'm passionate, I think, is because watches transcend time, and they're about time, which is quite poetic as well. For me, watches are something that you always pass down, and you can always wear them, you can always fix them. So they transcend time in that sense because they just get passed down through generations. We find out what happens to Haute Horology, the art of high watchmaking, when it finds its way to the street of dreams. First, let's chat with Nicola Caliata. He's the former president of the Rodeo Drive Committee. Nicola is also regional manager for Jeger Lecoult. Just recently, just in the last probably 10, 15 years, the watch business has become a such where the company themselves have decided to open freestanding boutiques showing their products and only their products. If you were to walk Rodeo Drive up and down 15 years ago, you would have not found the Vacheron Constantin Boutique, the Panerai Boutique, the IWC Boutique, the Rolex Boutique, the Gigi Lecoute Boutique, the Patek Philippe Boutique, all of these did not exist. So it's a very, very recent phenomenon in the world retail where the company have decided that watch has become such a great and important part of business that they've said, you know what, we're going to start to do our own boutiques. Mm-hmm. What is the difference between a customer and a collector? The collector is the person that knows about the watches. So there are brands of watches that the, the, the mass media of clientele in the world don't even know they exist. Mm-hmm. There are brands in the world of watches that produces 50 watches a year, wow. 100 watches a year. And you know, I'm talking comparing to other brands that produce tens of thousands of watches a year. Mm-hmm. So a collector is somebody that not necessarily wear the most famous or renowned watches, to you and I, but these are watches that are, you know, one of a kind, one of 10, one of 50. They're particular. They have something that other watches don't have. Who is the customer? Who are they selling to? I would say for the last 10 years, for the last seven years, 
the main client for everything uh, related to high-end watches have been the Chinese market. Mm -hmm. But the reality is that high-end watches, such as the one that I, I represent and many others, have always had a very strong following of collectors and people that like to invest money in items that not only maintain the value, but the value actually you know, increases. It's kind of like a little bit of the same thing when people do invest in jewelry or they buy diamonds and so on and so forth. Collectors include people of all ages. We have so many young collectors. Tom Blumenthal is CEO of Geary's Beverly Hills. Geary's owns boutiques on Rodeo Drive for Rolex and Patek Philippe. I mean, you would think that collecting these timepieces would be something for somebody in their 50s and 60s and above. Absolutely not. They start it in their early 20s and start collecting and become passionate and learning more about it. Traditionally, collectors were men, and it's almost as though their trove of timepieces gave them membership to a special club. Especially when two watch guys meet each other, it's sort of like uh, this secret handshake they give each other. <laughs> you check the wrist, and uh, you know sometimes what you're wearing says something about you or what you appreciate. That's Greg Simonian. He is president of Westheim. This is a luxury watch store headquartered on Two Rodeo Drive. Now, however, there is a booming new group of watch collectors, women like Iris Coe. I actually, at the moment, have 54 watches. And the funny thing is, 27 of them I acquired during the pandemic. That's right. The luxury watch business boomed during the pandemic. After all, during lockdown, people of means had time on their hands to follow sales, and they had disposable cash. Iris Coe is an anesthesiologist in Los Angeles who first became charmed by watches when she was a child. Like everyone else who grew up in the 80s, I actually had a quartz watch, and it was a Casio calculator watch, uh, believe it or not. And I love that thing to death. I wore it all the time. Now, Iris is one of a growing group of passionate women collectors who gather at watch meetups tour watchmaking workshops, and consult with the craftspeople who make the extraordinary machines. Iris says when it comes time to acquire a watch, she's looking both for form and function. Because I really use my watch for timing things at work, so it has to be accurate. But I also want it to look good while it's performing its function. Well, do you say you really use your watch and you're a doctor? I mean, we don't really need a watch today because time is everywhere. You're absolutely right. These days, I'm actually trying to find the most accurate watch, which is actually an Apple watch. But the way I use watches is, you know, when you go into the operating room, you need to know exactly what time your surgery starts and ends, what time you give certain medications. And it's very important to be on time. And, you know, even though I use my phone, these days I use my phone for that most of the time, but I still need my watch when I need an approximate reading and I can't reach down to get my phone and turn it on. You revealed to the New York Times that you acquired, let's call it your first important watch, important in terms of value, perhaps, in the middle of an operation in 2017. <laughs> 
Take us back there and tell us what happened. Okay, so there's a website that's called Hodinki that publishes articles on watches, and I had been following that for several years. And they started coming out with collaboration watches with several major brands. And there was one that was announced the night before that was made by Vacheron Constantin, and there were only going to be 36 of them made. And so when it came out, I looked at it. I thought, oh, this is great. It was a chronograph. It was a doctor's watch made in steel. It had a beautiful gray dial and an exhibition case back that just looked amazing. And I kind of hesitated for a while. I kind of started my day at work.、Um, I was working in a surgery center at the time. And usually, when you're sitting there, you can kind of have a little break or downtime in between to look at your phone. I looked at my phone. I said, well, this watch is still available. But of course, I was in the middle of my operation and I was thinking, oh, shoot, what am I going to do? I don't have my purse with me and my credit cards. <laughs> How am I going to make this deposit? Wow. So, yeah, I had to ask a nurse. And this is common practice. There's usually nurses around who can just monitor the patient for you while you go and take a break. And so I said, I, I need to take a break. And I just ran out, grabbed my purse. Um, called them back and gave them my credit card. Everything was fine. I was just so excited to get it. And two days later, it arrived. In case you were wondering, the patient was fine. Women watch collectors like Iris Co. represent a sea change in the industry. The journalist Ming Liu explains. I think watches for a long time has been a sort of male domain. It's been quite of a boys' club, and it would be you know men talking about their watches and the watches that they wear, and then they would buy one for their wives or their girlfriends. And it was very often a feminized version of the watches that they wore. The saying in the industry is kind of a joke: is that you just shrink it, pink it, and put some stones on it, put some diamonds on it, and you have your woman's watch.、Um, but now I think with women buying for themselves. They are more in control of the taste, and they're wearing pieces which really are a form of self-expression,、uh, really a form of、um, what the kind of watches that they want to wear. What do women want in a watch today? I think it's like anything; they just want something that will express who they are, will make them stand out as an individual. And there are many different ways that can be manifested. It, it can be wearing. A watch that was passed down, which has a lot of meaning, or it can be wearing a, a very functional tool watch, like a unisex watch, like an Omega Speedmaster or a Rolex GMT, where it's traditionally been seen as a men's watch, but it's just a unisex, genderless watch, which functions and is basically bulletproof. And then there are really bejeweled jewelry watches, which becomes a statement piece on your wrist with other pieces of jewelry. So. I think it's very hard to generalize what women want, but I think the one theme is that women want watches that express who they are because they're buying for themselves. So I think the days of the man in your life buying the watch for you, I think those days are over. You know, we always see, say, at the Emmys or the Oscars, male celebrities.、Mm. You know, Jared Leto flaunting a fabulous watch. It's rare that you actually see a woman on the red carpet wearing a watch. Why? Yeah, I just think there's still that kind of like watches aren't seen as a, as formal wear for 
women on the red carpet, which I really think is changing. Mm -hmm. One woman that I love is Michelle Yeoh, who pretty much always wears a Richard Meal watch on the red carpet, which is just fantastic because it's it has traditionally been a very strong men's brand and it's very quite you know masculine and you know it's a very mechanical kind of a technical watch and it just breaks that taboo that watches don't belong on the red carpet for women that's ming lu reporter on luxury watches for british vogue and many other publications for collectors like iris co a watch is a purchase for life it's a long-term investment Watch companies seek customers like her, as she discovered when she set out to acquire a limited edition by Omega, the CK2998. So I went into a Omega boutique and said, hey, I'd like to buy this watch. And they said, um, yeah, it's, it's limited, so we'll have to you know, determine who can get this. And they said, I had to write an essay, a short essay about why I sh- should be worthy to buy this watch in essence. I'm not saying that's what they wrote, but they said, oh, describe yourself and why you like this watch and why you think it would be important to you and this and that. So I, I did that, submitted it. And, you know, a, two months later, I got a call from the boutique and they said, hey, we have a watch for you. And I thought, I thought oh, this is great. Is this how watch buying is like? It is interesting because hearing that process of acquiring that watch, it's as though one was acquiring an old master painting. I know. It was a surprise for me. I I had no idea that such a thing even existed, but it was a good story I can tell because I haven't had to do that ever since. And, you know, I think the the most important thing when you're buying a watch is to develop a relationship with, you know, the person selling it to you. Why? Because they have to trust you. They have to know that you're not buying it to, to resell for a profit. There are a lot of people that do that these days because of how, you know, hyped up it is now. And for me, I don't sell my watches. I'm very careful about the watches I want to buy and the reasons for them. And the only time I'll sell it is if there's something wrong. And so if you have a good relationship with your seller, they're going to trust you and they're going to know you're not doing this for a profit. You're doing this because you actually love the watch and want to use it and cherish it for years to come. This subject of passion and connection to a watch often arises in conversations with watch collectors and merchants on Rodeo Drive. Luxury watchmakers say they don't want their product to be a commodity, to be flipped like a Beverly Hills home or stashed in a vault. Here's Tom Blumenthal of Gary's. We really encourage our clients to purchase them to wear. They should not be kept in a vault watches should be worn to be enjoyed Mm. and we are very careful that we don't sell these highly desirable collectible watches to people that are just buying it as an investment there's a difference between a passionate collector and a passionate investor Mm. and we're selling to the passionate collector who is not in it for making money on a watch or what's the value going to be in 10 years they've got to love the watch Mm. and love the brand and love the fact that they're owning such a desired work of art. Mm. Why are you passionate about that? Is it better for the brand, really? You know, it's better for everybody. Mm. I mean, it's better for the collector that the watches don't get into the wrong hands. It's better, mm-hmm. obviously, for the brand. It's better for us. It's, it's how we develop, you know, a great clientele. 
we're very careful about the end user. Horologists may not want their watches to be sold as investments. Nevertheless, there is a hot trade in bespoke timepieces. There are online markets for surplus and pre-owned luxury watches. But the watch boutiques on Rodeo Drive build close relationships with their customers and the manufacturers. In a break from tradition, however, one dealer on Rodeo Drive is treading carefully into the secondary market. Richard Mille watches became so hot that you walk into a store and there is no inventory. Here's Greg Simonian, president of Westheim. So what a lot of clients that want to get into the brand have to do is they have to buy product through the secondary market or the gray market or whatever you like to call it. And, um, you know, Richard, uh, Richard Mille HQ felt that that probably wasn't the best way to introduce clients to the brand. So what they did is they launched a global program for Richard Mille certified pre-owned. It was really the first in the watch industry to do it. Um, and we became a Richard Mille certified pre-owned dealer, uh, the only one in America and one of just several around the world. Greg Simonian's family has deep roots in the watch business. His father's great uncle was a watchmaker. His parents emigrated to America and started their journey by operating a watch store in a discount mall in the San Fernando Valley. Then, in the late 80s, they moved to West L.A., closer to the city of Beverly Hills. And uh, it was still sort of entry level. I mean, I still remember when I was very young, my, my family sold a $600 watch. And, you know, they must have been talking about it for about a week. Simonian himself worked in the family business. You know, in our store, we had watchmakers growing up that would teach me how to repair watches. At, at a very young age, I think maybe 11 years old, I was already doing sizings on Saturdays and Sundays in our store for clients who purchased watches. And it was sort of a natural progression. And, and you know, when I was 18, you know, I wanted to see how sort of it works in Switzerland. I've always seen our vendors. I've visited, obviously, Switzerland many times, but I've never really been part of the inner workings of it. And um, a family friend of ours, a very generous, kind man, offered me an internship at, at 18 in Switzerland. And I jumped on the opportunity. Business grew. Westheim expanded into luxury watches. Simonian's father met the Swiss luxury watchmaker Richard Mill and became his distributor in North and South America. In 2003, they opened a boutique on Rodeo Drive and never looked back. So our address was, you know, 216 North Rodeo. Uh, it was next door to Versace and um, that was very exciting to us. You know, we'd never had that kind of co-tenancy. Now Westheim is on two Rodeo Drive. The company prides itself on its range of price points and applies a curator's eye to the finest names in watches. As I mentioned, we didn't start out in the luxury watch industry, so we still have all price points. Our entry-level price point on Rodeo Drive is Longines and probably Tag Heuer. And then as you go on, you'll see a lot of brands you're very familiar with, um, you know, Bulgari, Harry Winston, Hublot, Omega, and then we also have this entire world that people are unfamiliar with, very niche, of, uh, of independent brands that are known for their complications. Independent brands started off, you know, a little bit after Richard Mille. Uh, he was really the first in this category of independent brands. Very low production, usually owner-operated, um, sometimes by a watchmaker himself, himself or herself, and um, it's low production, very high price point, complicated new engineering. You know, what's interesting about watches is they mix antiquated technology with sort of new technology. And there's no better example of that than these independent watch brands. 
Now they are taking over the floor above the Rodeo Drive store. So we decided to lease that store and provide a new experience for our customers, which is the world of pre-owned watches. So this is going to be a space where you can buy Richard watches pre-owned and they're certified. So, you know, so instead of buying from the secondary market from, you know, where you're not positive of the source and the history of the watch, these watches have been um, serviced, certified <laughs> and have a two year warranty. Um, but that space is large upstairs. So instead of just Richard Mille, we're doing other brands as well. So when, when you walk into our store and you look at, let's say, um, Omega, you can see all their current product. We don't fully grasp the history of the brand. Mm-hmm. Now you can go upstairs, look at some older, maybe vintage Omegas and understand where the brand came from. And, you know, sort of gain a new appreciation, a different appreciation that you would get at a store that doesn't have that. So it's a collector's paradise. It's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> um, so right now, it's what's tricky for our salespeople is they see that I'm that I'm stocking these products. I'm opening this second new concept for West Ham in October, and I'm, I'm trying to hold back because I, I don't want to sell the inventory right now. I want to open with the significant inventory, but there's a lot of very sellable, very exciting pieces coming. That's Greg Simonian, president of Westheim. It seems there is no end in sight for the watch buying boom. Another Rodeo Drive watch company also has ambitious expansion plans. Let's go back to Tom Blumenthal of Geary's. We have just announced that we will be building flagship Rolex and Patek Philippe boutiques on Rodeo Drive. We will be moving out of our current location in two and a half years and opening up a 15,000 square foot branded side-by-side flagship locations for the two brands. And it will be their West Coast flagships. Why? Because part of purchasing a timepiece is is having the right experience and we're limited to the amount of space we need to really give the proper experience when somebody's coming in to buy a timepiece of those magnitudes, whether it's Rolex or Patek. We will have a rooftop garden and lots of space to entertain our clients while they're making decisions. It's really all about the experience. So we're talking about a kind of VIP Rodeo Drive mega boutique back entrance dining room. Back entrance, front entrance, dining room, absolutely. The whole nine yards as well as a, a rooftop garden, which will be used for hospitality and events. It's very exciting and we're planning on opening in the spring of 24. That's Tom Blumenthal. After talking to Tom and the other watch experts, you sense a passion for timepieces that seems to transcend other luxury goods. Maybe it has to do with the connection to time itself. It's also the only item that I can think of, other than a wedding ring maybe, that you can wear day after day for your entire life. It's about artistry, passion, creativity, history. There's just so much to it. And I don't think that a lifetime is enough to really delve into the world of horology. That was Iris Co. and Greg Simonian. You've been listening to Rodeo Drive, the podcast. I'm Bronwyn Cosgrave. On the next episode... I always feel as if I'm home. Um, first of all, because of the ingredients that I found here, mm. especially like the farmer's market, something that like uh, it reminds me, of course, uh, Italy. Rodeo Drive, the podcast, is presented by the Rodeo Drive Committee with the support of the city of Beverly Hills, the Heyman family, 
to Rodeo Drive, Geary's, and the Beverly Hills Conference and Visitors Bureau. Rodeo Drive, the podcast, is written by Francis Anderton, with editing and audio production by Avishai Artsy. Brian Banks composed the theme music. Livia Manduel, Kelly McConnell, and Scylla Jenya are the production coordinators. The executive producer is Lynn Winter. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Share it with your friends. Join us on Instagram at Rodeo Drive. See you on the street.